Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. And today we're going to be talking about UFC 279, Hamzat Shemaev versus Nate Diaz. And it's going down this Saturday night live in Las Vegas, Nevada from the T-Mobile Arena, the fight capital of the world. And this is a hell of a main event. I know a lot of people have been complaining. They've been crying. Oh, this is a mismatch, which the odds do kind of indicate it might be. And they're saying, well, why, why isn't Hamzat fighting Colby, this and that? Let me ask you something. If you're in the business of selling pay-per-views, what's going to sell more pay-per-views, Hamzat versus Colby or Hamzat versus Diaz? It's clearly Hamzat versus Diaz. This was the fight to make. And also everyone's saying, well, why don't they give Diaz an easy fight for his retirement fight? Guys, since when does Nate Diaz take easy fights? Nate Diaz is a is an OG, is a gangster through and through. And Nate Diaz don't come out here taking no easy fights. So this is a fitting way to send Nate Diaz off into retirement or into, you know, other ventures. If he wants to go box Jake Paul, if he wants to, if he gets the upset here and re-signs with the UFC. So I'm actually in the minority, and I do think that this is a fantastic main event. Again, Back to let's regurgitate a point I just made. If you're in the business of selling pay-per-views, what's going to sell more? Hamzat versus Colby or Hamzat versus Diaz? It's Hamzat versus Diaz. So without further ado, let's break down this whole card. Finish to start. I was going to say start to finish, but, you know, let's start off with this main event, man, because so much to talk about. So main event in the welterweight division. We got the undefeated Phenon, Hamzat Bors Shemaev. He's 11-0, representing Sweden and Dagestan, taking on Nate Diaz, who's 20-13, and 13, representing Stockton 209. And currently, they got it. <laughs> minus 1,800 Hamzat Shemaev. The comeback on Nate Diaz is plus 950. Uh, if you look uh, at DraftKings Sportsbook, who are sponsoring today's episode of the podcast, shout out DraftKings Sportsbook. They got it minus 1050. Hamzat Chimaev with the comeback on Nate Diaz is plus 700. So for today's uh, show, I'll be quoting uh, the DraftKings Sportsbook odds. So lots to dissect in this matchup, lots to talk about. I mean, oftentimes when we get a minus 1050, a minus 1500, a minus 1800, you know, we can just you know, kind of gloss over it, say this guy's going to destroy the other guy and move on. But there's, there's, a, there's a lot to discuss here, man. I mean, people are talking about how Hamzat got exposed, uh, you know, his last fight against Gilbert Durino, how he arguably lost the fight, in which I'm like, he arguably lost the fight? What? Like, like people, like, play out these fighters to be superheroes and they they create this aura of invincibility that as soon as the fighter shows that they're human people all of a sudden downplay their accomplishments and act like they're still not a stud hamza's still a stud what he had a tough fight with the number two guy on planet earth and now he's not a stud like fuck that dude i disagree with that and he did not arguably lose that fight he arguably lost a round Okay, maybe he lost a round at most, but to say that he lost that fight is categorically false uh, as far as I'm concerned. I was in attendance for that fight, so I saw it in person, and I also uh, went back and watched it at home too. And, I mean, you got Hamza winning the first and third round every single time, man. The second round was the one that you might be able to give the Gilbert Durino. So 
just because he didn't blow him out the water like he's been doing to all his other opponents doesn't mean that you need to discredit him. I mean, this is still a fight at the end of the day against elite competition. Like, you're not going to just run through everyone. And it was good to see him get pushed. It was good to see him get cracked. How? Because the big question was, what happens if a fight gets extended? What happens if this guy takes a flush shot on the chin? And Dorino had been knocking a lot of guys out. Hamza did get wobbled. Hamza did get dropped, but Hamza got right back up. So he showed that heart of a champion, which is something I really wanted to see. And also, when you're only 10 and 0 in your career, like he was at the time, now he's 11 and 0, you're going to make those rookie mistakes. I mean, he probably thought that no one on planet Earth can touch me. And the fact that, you know, Gilbert Durino stood up to the quote unquote bully. This was a new experience for him, but these are the kind of experiences you grow from and come back better from. Now he knows that, hey, like people actually can take my hardest shots when you're when you're talking about the upper echelon and I'm not going to be able to put everyone away uh, in dramatic fashion. So this was an important learning lesson for a young upcoming guy. I mean, this kid, he was born in 1994. He's just a kid. So I would cut him some slack for that performance. In fact, I was hyped about that performance to be fighting the guys he was fighting, which, you know, were respectable guys. Gerald Mearshart, you know, most submissions in middleweight history. Uh, Li Jing Liang, perennial top 15. He handled those guys accordingly. But what happens when he moved up to the top five of the division? And I thought that the Burns fight, I thought he clearly won the fight. I thought he overcame adversity. I thought he showed a good chin. I thought he showed good heart. Now the thing is people are like, oh, his cardio is not the best. And I'm like, bullshit, bullshit. That was a pacing issue. Again, when you have that aura of invincibility and you think that I kill everybody, you know, when you when you're talking like that, you think that, you know, you touch this guy's one time and, and they're just going to go down. And I think he had to learn that, hey, like these guys at the upper echelon, they can take your best shot. They will keep fighting to the bitter end. And that was a good learning experience for a young upcoming guy. So how does he come back from that? And now he's got Nate Diaz, who is known for being one of the most ultra durable guys in the history of the sport and Nate Diaz plays by Nate Diaz rules. Nate Diaz doesn't give a shit about the 10 point must system. Nate Diaz don't give a fuck about the unified rules. Nate Diaz fights how Nate Diaz fights. And it's funny because he'll lose an, he'll lose a whole fight and have one moment in the fifth round against Leon uh, Edwards. Um, and, you know, everyone will forget that all this, all the success that, that Leon had up until that point. Leon was putting on a clinic, but we'll only talk about Nate Diaz rocking him at the end of the fifth round. That's the kind of pull Nate Diaz has. This dude just said, I'm dick riding Chimaev. I ain't dick riding nobody, bro. I'm just pointing out the facts. I'm about to point out some facts on Nate Diaz too, but let's take it fighter by fighter. There's two men involved in this fight. But I mean, Nate Diaz, what can I say? I got a special, excuse me. I got a special place in my heart for Nate Diaz. One of the first ever underdog bets I cashed in, my betting career was on Nate Diaz. Now, back when he fought Cowboy Cerrone, the same night that Brock Lesnar fought Alistair Overeem, Diaz was a big dog against Cerrone, cashed him there. But it was the the bet against Jim Miller at like plus 220 odds. Back when I was playing the drums in clubs in Atlanta, we play at this place called the Star Bar. And in the downstairs, they had a TV, you know, and, they, and it was on Fox back then, like Channel 5. So I watched 
Nate Diaz beat Jim Miller, had that plus 220, then went upstairs and played the best show of my life. So that was like one of the catalysts of like, wow, that's what it feels like to cash an underdog bet. And Nate Diaz is a perennial underdog. Nate Diaz is a guy who's known for having some of the biggest upsets in the sport. I mean, when he upset McGregor, McGregor was coming off that seven-second knockout over Jose Aldo. And no one gave Nate Diaz a chance in that fight. I mean, I think McGregor was like minus, what, 450? And even though odds-wise there have been bigger upsets, you know, like Ronda and Holly and, and you know, TJ and Burrell and this and that, just magnitude-wise, that was one of the biggest upsets in the history of the sport um, when Nate Diaz uh, upset McGregor the first time. So, And, I mean, fights, the magnitude of fights don't get much bigger than fighting McGregor. So, Nate Diaz ain't going to be bothered by this moment at all. So, so it's an interesting fight. Listen, Nate Diaz, he, he plays by his own rules. He marches to the beat of his own drum. And we know Hamzat's got big power, but we know Nate Diaz has big durability. So what I think Hamzat is going to have success doing is obviously taking Nate Diaz down. Nate Diaz, you know, he'll succumb to takedowns, but it ain't exactly easy to pass his guard. It ain't exactly easy to get, you know, side control, full mount, and, and to let alone submit the guy or pound him out. But I definitely think he's going to be eating some ground and pound in this fight for sure. It's just, you know, questions of Nate Diaz surviving that ass whooping and then coming back. And, you know, from time to time, his hands do look sharp. From time to time, he has rocked people, including his last fight against the current champion, Leon Edwards. So I know that Nate Diaz is capable. It's just he is at the end of his career. You know, a lot of people are spec are speculating this might be his retirement fight. Uh, so is he going to be as durable as he always is? You know, at some point, all the wars have to add up. And someone brought up the Rory McDonald fight. Yeah, that's a good example, too. Got ragdolled in the wrestling. Only difference is this is a five-round fight. And if some of y'all are questioning uh, Chimaev gassing, like, look, Chimaev doesn't have bad cardio. The reason Chimaev gassed in that last fight is the reason I mentioned his egos through the roof. He thought that no, he thought he was just going to go out there and just walk through Dorino like it was nothing. And when that didn't happen, I mean, the kind of effort you put forth to finish someone that that's going to fatigue you. That's just that's just science. That's just how it works, man. That's but that's not implying that Hamzat ain't out here running his miles. That Hamzat ain't out here putting his work in in the gym. I mean. From everything I've heard, he's one of the hardest workers in the gym. It's just you can still have great cardio and still be one of the hardest workers and still gas out in a fight if you're not pacing yourself properly. So hopefully for his sake, he's learned how to pace himself better. So now the questions are, I want to see what happens, how Nate Diaz responds to these shots, if he, can still, if he still has that insane iron jaw he's been known for. And how much of an ass whooping can he take? Can he still take the whoopings he used to be able to? And then there's the scar tissue talk. Nate Diaz gets opened up. Cut stoppages are definitely a real possibility in a fight like this. And furthermore, if Nate Diaz is able to get off on some of his boxing, I want to see how Chimaev responds to that. So I love this fight. Um, I'm actually very, very excited for it. So, yeah, look, obviously you got to roll with the big favorite here. Not from a betting perspective. I ain't laying no minus 1050. I ain't laying no minus 1800. There's no value there. So if you want to take a half unit shot on Nate, okay. Let me check what the over-under is because that's actually something I'm, I'm very curious about. So over-under for this fight. Let me pull that up real quick. So, all right, here we go. Has it not been posted yet or something? I'm seeing all these other props, but I don't, I don't see the the over under 
anywhere. But I'm curious what the over is for. Uh, I'm curious what the over is because historically speaking, Diaz is very durable, and usually when you get a minus ten fifty, minus eighteen hundred favorite, the over under is set at one and a half. So I'm curious to see what the line would be on the over one and a half, and just say, hey Nate, take this ass open up front. You know, don't go out and. You know, maybe you can extend this fight. So I'd be I'd be curious to see what it is. Um, Brandon says it has to be juiced, possibly, uh, po- possibly is juiced. It's just you, and that would just be on the merit of how durable Nate is. You know, because oftentimes with, with a line like that, the under is is juiced. You know, just like in that Luke Rockhold and um, and Paulo Costa fight, the under was like wasn't it like minus four something in the under there, and it went over, which is pretty interesting. So yeah. I mean, Nate historically doesn't get finished. You know, there was the Josh Thompson fight, which we don't talk about. You know, that never happened. You know, flukes happen. We'll call that a fluke because I know they I know they run it back and Nate, Nate's spanking that ass. But uh, the things I'd be worried about more is, you know, maybe Nate takes these ass whoopings, but he doesn't per se cover up and let the ref intervene. But maybe the ref sees too much or the cut stoppage angle is always there with the guy with the scar tissue of Nate Diaz. So I got to go with Hamzat Shemaev here. I'm just very curious to see how it plays out. I'm curious to see if Nate does have moments here or if it's just come or if it's just going to be, you know, a little bit of a ragdolling in there. So yeah, I'm very, very intrigued by it. I'm also curious to see if Hamzat has made adjustments from that last fight, which I'm sure he has. I mean, we talk about these kids with 10 fights or less are going to be making big improvements. He's now 11 and no. I still think that's early on in his career and I do expect improvement. So I got to go Hamza Chimaev. I'm just not sure if it's going to be a finish or if Nate's going to last the full five, which he is known for doing. So yeah, that's what I think. Hamza is my pick. Oh yeah. And then Matthew made a good comment. He said age catches up with Nate. And and that's a great point because all our favorite fighters that were so that were once durable, you know, remember with like BJ Penn. I talk about this example all the time. The same with BJ Penn was always never been knocked down, never been knocked out until he was knocked down and knocked out. Right. So so it could happen with Diaz too, especially uh with it, this being his retirement fight, allegedly. So yeah, there's a lot of possibilities of, of how it ends, but you know, I gotta go Chimaev here. Um, I mean, I'm, I'd be happy to see Nate win. I love Nate, and I got nothing against uh, Hamzad. It's just, you know, Nate's an OG. Nate's someone that uh, has a special place in my heart, you know, just as a fan of the sport. Even met him a couple times, and he was a super cool dude. And I even got to see his brother, Nick, fight live against BJ Penn back in the day. So I always fuck with the Diaz brothers, man. Always will. But, yeah, I'm picking Hamzad to, to win this fight. Everybody do me a favor, smash that like button. And now let's talk about the co-main event of the evening of the welterweight division between Li Jingliang. He's 19 and 7, representing China, taking on Tony Ekukui Ferguson, who's 25 and 7, rep repping the United States of America. And currently they got a Li Jingliang minus 305. The comeback on Tony Ferguson is plus 255. So I kind of felt like I fucked up. You know, I um uh, I missed the minus 250 on uh, on Li Jingliang, and now he's minus 305. You know, I missed a line of 55 cents. I'm good. I'm good passing. But here's the here's the thing that's interesting. Um, someone said if Nate was in this chat, Dan, he would say fuck you. Yeah, that's fine, dude. I mean, I picked against him, so I assume he'd say fuck you. But I, I also assume if I ever decide to smoke weed again, I'll smoke a blunt with Nate Diaz for sure. You know, just for the bragging rights. No, I mean. Come on, Nate Diaz is a legend of the sport. Are you kidding me? But back to this. 
so I missed the line on Li Jing Liang, but but my history betting Li Jing Liang is trash. It's fucking terrible. Like, let me tell you how I, how bad I am at picking Li Jing Liang fights. So I lay the chalk on on Li Jing Liang against Jake Matthews, and Jake Matthews has the best performance of his career. I lay the chalk on Li Jing Liang against Neil Neil Magny, and Lee gasses like one minute into the fight, gets dog walked. Then I bet Eliza Zaleski against uh Li Jing Liang. He gets knocked out. Then I bet Santiago Ponzinibbio against uh against Li Jing Liang. He gets knocked out. And I didn't bet this one, but I picked Muslim Salikov against Li Jing Liang. And he got knocked out. So like Li Jing Liang is kind of unpredictable in as far as I'm concerned, you know. But one thing we do know is he's one of the heaviest hitters in welterweight history. This guy is a knockout artist through and through. And here with Tony Ferguson, listen, I got a lot of respect for Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson had an incredible run. What was it? A 10 to 12 fight win streak at one point. Even won uh, um, the UFC interim lightweight belt. And the guy, the guy is just fun to watch. He's unorthodox. He has his own style. He Granby rolls out of takedown attempts. His elbows are sharp. He's got good front kicks, good inside kicks. His boxing is decently sharp offensively speaking. It's just defensively speaking. With a declining fighter, that's where you got to draw the line because the guy gets hit entirely too much. And early on in his career, he can definitely eat those shots. But now as he's starting to decline, it's not going to be as easy for him to eat those shots anymore. Not to mention these last few fights, he hasn't won a single round in any of them except maybe the Michael Chandler fight. But besides that, he's been getting clean swept on the mat. This guy's a former college wrestler, and, and he's been getting dominated in the wrestling department. Eats way too many shots on the feet. So, yeah, if this was a prime Tony Ferguson, which how long ago was was a prime Tony Ferguson? What, 2017, 2018, 2015? You know, if this was then and we got those odds, okay. But I personally don't think he's got one more in him. And then another thing I wanted to say um, is this. So Dana White, in one of his uh, post-fight media scrums, he was asked a question. And the question he was asked was, um, with all the guys you're signing from Contender Series, are you going to be releasing a lot of fighters currently on the roster? And what uh dana said as a response was no because we got a lot of guys coming up that are about to retire you saw uriah hall just retired you saw alessio di carico just retired i have a feeling on this card nate diaz and tony ferguson are going to retire you know for luke rockle just retired uh i know frankie edgar is about to retire i wouldn't be surprised if chris weidman retired so what i'm saying is all these guys that used to be the fucking man back in their day, the circle of life, the evolution of the sport, there's new generations coming up. And not that Li Jing Liang necessarily represents the new generation, but he's in his prime right now. Tony Ferguson is about to be 40 years old. So even though I do think Tony Ferguson has a lot of skill and Li Jing Liang has let me down many times as a favorite, I still think Li Jing Liang you know, I just at this point is just going to be a bit too much. And he probably does catch the chin of Ferguson. I mean, before it was, you know, before Ferguson went on the skid, he was able to get away with a lot of rough spots. But now he's not even winning rounds in fights. He's he's getting dominated on the scorecards, you know, 30, 26 is 30, 25s. And then 
comes back against Chandler and just gets flatlined, you know, face first, ass up, face planted. And those are the kind of knockouts that you don't come back the same from. And he's coming back not too, you know, far removed from that knockout. So I don't, I don't know how that's going to, you know, how that's going to bode well with the kind of power that Li Jing Liang brings to the table. Now, I'm not putting much stock into the weight move. You know, he is moving up to 170 for this because, you know, he actually won the ultimate fighter at 170 pounds. So it's not like this is new for him. He's got experience at, at welterweight too. It's just at this point in his career, it sucks to say it about a guy that you grew up watching that you respect so much, but he's washed up. So I think Li Jing Liang probably comes out here and treats him accordingly and possibly gets a knockout. But until the knockout, it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. So give me Li Jing Liang there. Now, featured bout in, it's in 180-pound catch weight. I'm very excited about this one. we got Kevin Holland. He's 23-7, and seven, taking on Daniel Rodriguez, who is 16-2. and two. And currently, they got it. Kevin Holland minus... Minus 195, the comeback on Daniel Rodriguez is plus 165. So this is this is a fight that I'm very, very intrigued by. This is probably the fight to watch. So many questions about this. So let's start off with some of the stats. So Kevin Holland has got seven inch reach advantage. He's also six years younger so already statistically speaking he's got an edge in that department normally people with seven inch reach advantages and six year age advantages tend to win the fights more often than not but then you look at these other numbers and d-rod more than doubles up kevin holland on output um and then also his his striking defense is a bit better too takedown defense is obviously better we know kevin holland ain't exactly known for his takedown defense but one thing about kevin holland black belt in jujitsu but he's able to use his length in a way where you know he's able to scramble back up to to his feet even if he gets taken down a million times he can get back up and he's got an unorthodox submission game what i here, here's my thing about the seven inch reach advantage on the feet the seven inch reach advantage is only like a valid point if he uses that at if he uses that reach advantage, utilizes it, and keeps D-Rod at the end of those strikes, keeps him at the end of the jab. But D-Rod's a pretty educated boxer for MMA standards. Like D-Rod fights behind his jab. D-Rod, he doesn't really take any unnecessary risks, but when he sees those openings, he goes for them, man. And what I'm curious about here, because when we talk about that seven inch reach advantage, that 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 you know using that as a point to to pick holland implies that he's going to be keeping uh d-rod on the outside but the thing about holland is sometimes he gets wild in there and sometimes he closes the distance charges forward recklessly and when that happens then all of a sudden you're in d-rod's range and also i haven't really liked the way kevin holland's been responding to some of these shots he's been taking um, out at welterweight against Cowboy Oliveira against um, Tim Means. Now, granted, this fight is at a 180-pound catchweight, so we got a nice little 10 extra pounds to work with. And when we talk about the Kevin Holland takedown defense, and we also talk about how D-Rod isn't exactly known for wrestling too many people, which are valid points, but you also got to bring up, is Darren Stewart known for wrestling people? Darren Stewart's the guy that's known for getting out-wrestled every fight. 
and Darren Stewart went out there against uh, Kevin Holland and landed three takedowns. So just because we haven't seen D-Rod land too many takedowns because he's had so much success with his boxing doesn't mean he can't throw, you know, a little, you know, he, he can't he can't pull out that ace out his sleeve and get a takedown or two because Kevin Holland's takedown defense, people say it's been improving. The numbers say otherwise. I mean, look, yeah, can we give him a pass for getting taken down 11 times by Marvin Vittori and six times by Derek Brunson? Sure. Still got taken down the next fight against Dacus. Still got taken down twice the next fight against Alex Cowboy. Still got taken down twice the next fight against Tim Means. So the takedown defense has not been patched up. But he can still get back up to his feet. So we got to give him credit there. And then another thing, you have to be careful shooting on Holland because of those long limbs. He can lock up a Darce. He can lock up an Anaconda. He can lock up a high elbow guillotine. So you just have to be cautious about that. But this is the fight I'm having the most trouble with. One thing I really liked about Holland is I felt like his speed was on another level um, in that Tim Means. I felt like this drop to this new weight class, his speed is really translating. He's looking like he's putting on some nice size. So I like that a lot. I'm just curious to see how does he react to D-Rod's shots. Like oftentimes, again, when, when you got the seven-inch reach advantage, the six-year age advantage, most times I'm siding with that guy. But here I'm not putting as much stock into it because although D-Rod is 35, I don't see a decline. I don't see any indication that he's slowing down at all. Um, I think he's in his prime right now. You know, I, I think that if he's 35 and he's getting knocked out every fight, okay, then you can be like, oh, he's 35. But he's 35 and he's looking better every fight. So I don't really use that against him. It's just about... In whose range is this fight going to play in? From the outside, that's where I think Kevin Holland can get off on those sidekicks, keep him at bay, some fast combos. It's just when Kevin Holland uh, charges recklessly with that chin up in the air. Like I know the Dacus fight was an inadvertent head clash, but a, a similar thing can happen here with D-Rod, except instead of it being a head clash, it can be a counter shot. This dude, D-Rod, has got some nasty counter punches. So... I see this being a close fight. I lean Holland. I think that the speed advantage is there. But, man, I, I don't know, man. I don't know, man, because I'm not counting this guy D-Rod out. I think he's a very, very solid fighter. I hear a lot of a lot of the syndicates like that plus 180, like that plus 170 on, uh, on D-Rod. Not to say that they're right all the time. and you know, No one's right all the time. But I'm just saying, if you're taking a shot on D-Rod, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't fault you for it, but I, I look, it's one of those things where pre tape, I wanted to bet D rod post tape. I liked Holland. I thought he had a bit of a speed advantage, but the tape, the tape isn't always right, man. Sometimes the, the statistics uh, are better than the tape. So it's one of those things. Like sometimes I'll have, I'll pick the right side, watch the tape and it'll sway me off of it. So the tape is not the be-all, end-all, because sometimes you just see what you want to see, whereas the numbers don't lie. So this is a tough one. I lean Kevin Holland, but it would not surprise me one bit to see uh, Daniel Rodriguez come out here and get this dub. I think that he's a stud, and I think that this is a fantastic matchup. And I'm not too worried about the hand surgeries D-Rod had. Like, what, is he not going to throw his hands now because he had a surgery? Like, dude, this guy comes from prison fights. It, it, he'll, he'll throw hands with broken hands. Like, he doesn't give a fuck, man. So I, I don't expect any of that kind of shit. To me, it just comes down to at what range is this fight taking place in? And again, 
Kevin Holland charging recklessly and not using that seven inch reach advantage, that's going to allow D Rod to get off on those counter shots. Subsequently, Kevin Holland keeps it on the outside, keeps D Rod at bay. That's where he can kind of rack up points himself. And then I'm curious to see what happens if this fight hits the mat. So this is one of the hardest fights to call. I lean Holland with the with the speed advantage, but D Rod's not D Rod's not one to be fucked with, man. Uh, and if you're taking the shot, I don't blame you. I think he's a stud. Now, next up in the bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Irene Aldana. She's 13 and six, representing Mexico, taking on Macy Chazon, who is eight and two. Macy Chazon should have been on that France card with a last name like that, Chazon Chazon. She should have definitely been on there. But currently, they got it. Irene Aldana, minus 175. The comeback on Macy Chazon is plus 150. So this is interesting. Um, Irene Aldana's always had very high output. She's big for the weight class. Just... The only thing I don't like is sometimes we'll underperform in these chalk spots like the Rocky Pennington fight, even early on in her UFC career against uh, Leslie Smith. Um, but from time to time, I mean, you don't often see girls going out there with that one hitter quitter. And the way she slept Vieira, the way she slept Yana Kuniskaya, that was impressive, man. And that's a step in the right direction. But then you'll also see these head scratcher performances like the Holly Holm fight where Holly Holm gave her a tour of the octagon holly Holm gave her the vet lesson the vet lesson so it's like is it Renda gonna show up here because i've never been impressed with macy Chauzon at all but i have to give her credit look at the the physicality here because usually Irene aldana is the bigger chick in these fights macy Chauzon's five foot eleven macy Chauzon's got a 72 inch reach that's a longer reach than Max Holloway. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? That's a longer reach than a lot of these the, the, these grown-ass men. So she's a big chick. And if she can use that physicality, pin her up against the fence, not let Irena Aldana get off on those boxing combinations, it could be an interesting fight. And I was actually more impressed with uh, Macy Chazan's fight against Norma Dumont than I have been with any of, their, any of her other performances in a while. Like, I expected her to to definitely lose to Dumont and she was able to go out there and land six takedowns in that fight and use that physicality. So while I definitely lean Aldana, it's just how many times am I going to be burnt by this Aldana chalk price? So I ain't laying it personally. The pick is Aldana, but you, you can make a case for Macy with that physicality, you know, and she's got a great team behind her. She's got my boy coach safe. Sayud. Now I did hear a rumor that Aldana actually, moved to florida for this fight can someone confirm that did she do this at att like i know she normally trains with uh with the lobos with uh you know with alexa grasso and all her teammates in mexico but i heard she might have went to florida for this so someone confirm if that's true or not i lean aldana to get it done but aldana's let us down many times before so don't be surprised that she lets you down again she's always been a very hyped fighter now, this one, kicking off the main card, this is an interesting fight that I have no fucking idea what's going to happen, but there's a lot of scenarios we can talk about. And that's a 205-pound division fight between Johnny Walker. He's 18-7, and seven, taking on Iwan Kutalaba, who's 16-7-1. And, and currently, they got it. Currently, they got it. Iwan Kutalaba minus 230. The comeback on Johnny Walker is plus 190. Now, I know for a fact 
that a couple of years ago I would have been all over those Johnny Walker dog odds and like Johnny Walker, man, if we can just get back to that ultra confident guy that he was when he first came into the UFC with the way, the way he was knocking these guys out, the way he knocked out Khalil Roundtree, the way he knocked out um, Misha Sarkuna uh, was very, very impressive. He's definitely gotten exposed, and I also have a bit of a theory that remember, remember that celebration he did? I think it was after the Sarkuna fight where he did the worm and then he blew out his shoulder. Hasn't quite looked the same since then. So, and now he's training with the New York Times best-selling author, and you saw the the fight against Maheta where they didn't throw anything at each other, even though he did go out there and win two rounds against Maheta. Um, it was a you know it was a very low output fight. And then you saw what my boy Jamal Hill did to him. You know, how do you rebound from a knockout like that? Luckily for him, Iwan Kutalaba is nowhere near the skill level of Hill, nor nor does he have the ceiling as Hill. But Iwan Kutalaba is still a very aggressive guy. My issue here is when you're talking about a price like minus 200 on Iwan Kutalaba, this guy is not a trustworthy fighter. Now, does he have passed the victory here? 100%. He's, he swings big bombs, possibly could catch that chin of Walker. Also has that wrestling background. We've seen Walker get wrestled before against Nikita Krilov. So the paths are there, but Iwan cannot be trusted. You put Iwan in one bad spot and he's checking out. It's just the thing with Walker is Walker has no chin, but Walker's got heart. Like if you go back to this regional fight, the one where he got like knocked out three times, like he kept trying to get back up each time. I know it looked kind of funny, would fall back, this and that, you know, it would look like Gumby out there, but like he still like tries to, he still tries to fight till the bitter end. So I actually think Johnny Walker's got more heart. Whereas you put Iwan Kutalaba in one bad spot. He's tapping early. He's covering up, letting the ref intervene. So who do I think is the tougher guy? I think Johnny Walker is the tougher guy. It's just where's Johnny Walker at mentally after such a hellacious knockout loss. But to take it a step further, what do we expect from Iwan Kutalaba as a minus 200 favorite? Is he going to come out here, be smart, use that Moldovan wrestling background, you know, grind this guy out similar to how Nikita did? Or is he going to want to come out here and test that chin, which could possibly leave openings for him to get caught along the way? Like, let me see what the numbers say regarding the size between these two. Yeah, Johnny Walker is six foot six. Iwan is, is six foot one. So he's got a five inch height advantage. Johnny's got an 82 inch reach. Uh, Iwan's got a 75 inch reach. So we got a seven inch reach advantage for Johnny Walker. It's just, is Johnny going to let it go? Is Johnny. Can Johnny tap into that guy who was brimming with confidence, who was willing to take those big risks when he first came into the UFC? Or are we dealing with, you know, a busted prospect that just isn't ever going to see those heights he, won di he once did? Like, y'all remember when Brandon Thatch first came into the UFC? Like, when Brandon Thatch first came into the UFC, he was running through guys left and right. But he had that one fight against Benson Henderson that took away his confidence, and he never won a fight ever again. So confidence is a motherfucker in this sport. Confidence is such a big thing, and I'm not sure where Johnny Walker's confidence is. But I also know you cannot trust Iwan Kutalaba at a price like this. So I'd say it's dogger pass. I, I really don't know. I really do not know what's going to happen here. Like, Iwan, are we going to wrestle or are we going to try to bang? Johnny, are you going to actually let your hands go? 
what kind of improvements you've been making on the mat. Someone said Eric Silva as well. Yeah, Eric Silva is a perfect example of that. Comes in the UFC brimming with confidence and, you know, a couple setbacks and it isn't, and, and USADA too, and isn't the same guy ever again. My boy Marcus said, I don't see how Iwan Kutlaba is a minus 200 favorite. Uh, Iwan's previous fights have not been good also. Dog money on Walker is worth a look. Yeah, I think it's a dog or pass situation. It's just you can't cry when Johnny Walker gets wrestled. You can't cry when Johnny Walker gets one hitter quittered again. But if you're lying, if you're laying minus two hundred on Kutalaba, you better not fucking cry when Kutalaba pulls his million stun inside the octagon. So these are two glass cannons. These are two guys that are hard to cap. It's a dog or pass situation. I just don't know what to expect from either. So I lean. Kutalaba lean minus 200 ain't no lean price minus 200 I need some answers and I don't have answers dogger pass but I'll pick Kutalaba because of the you know the wrestling advantage is he even going to use the wrestling advantage <laughs> you cannot trust this guy you cannot trust either guy but at least there's plus 170 odds on one of the guys so if you want to take a one unit shot, a half unit shot, I don't blame you. But none of us can sit here confidently and act like we know what's going to happen because these two guys are wild cards and there's limitless possibilities of the way this fight could go down. So that's all I got to say regarding that. All right. So before I talk about the featured prelim be be uh, between Hakim Dawadu and Julian Arosa, I need you all to do me a huge favor and smash that like button and also I want to give a big shout out to DraftKings Sportsbook, who are actually sponsoring uh, this episode of Half the Battle. So DraftKings Sportsbook, thank you all very much. And they got a pretty cool deal for you all. So football fans, the first Sunday of the NFL season is here. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving new customers a can't-miss offer to celebrate the return of the NFL season. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 and get $200 in free bets instantly. And as an added bonus for week one, everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. Bet on an NFL team to win. Y'all know for me, it's got to be the Falcons. If your team leads by 10 uh, points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly. Even if your team loses. Now, MMA fans, don't forget about UFC 279 that's going down in Las Vegas this Saturday. There's a lot of potential here for big scoring points on DraftKings. I mean, y'all know this Iwan Kutalaba versus uh, Johnny Walker fight. There's a chance someone hits the deck. There's a chance for a canvas nap. I like uh, Johan Linnaeus, which we're going to talk about early on in the card. Whether you like that or want to fade it, that's an option too. And then the D-Rod versus Evan Holland fight, I know, I know there's going to be some action when those two uh, throw down. So definitely a lot of matches to look forward to, both on the UFC and the NFL side. So guys, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code LEVI, which is my last name, L-E-V-I, like Levi Jeans, and, and get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet this Sunday. That's code Levy only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So shout out to DraftKings Sportsbook. Really appreciate y'all sponsoring this episode of Half the Battle. Now, y'all, 
Everybody smash the like button and let's talk about this featured prelim between Hakim Dawadu. He's 13 and 2 representing Canada, even though even though I know my boy is African too. So don't sleep on that. Taking on Julian Arosa, Juicy J, who's 27 and 9. And currently they got it minus 215. Hakim Dawadu, the comeback on Julian Arosa is plus 185. So I I think that Hakim Dawadu is one of the best technical strikers in the featherweight division. Very good uh kick returns his hands are sharp and when he's focused in there the guy's a problem he can slow fights down to his pace and just out volume people he can knock guys out as well Hakim Daudu I mean I've been watching this guy since the world series of fighting currently known as the PFL and he's always been a problem and now he's putting it all together and I consider him either a top 15 guy or on the cusp of the top 15 and with Julian Arosa I got to give him a lot of credit man because this is one of those guys that like He's killer be killed, right? And he's stopped a lot of upcoming prospects in their tracks. Sean Woodson finished him. Nate Landwehr finished him. Charles Jordan finished him. Jamal Emmers on Contender Series finished him. So he's got a lot of good wins on, on, on his resume. So here's what here's the trend I notice on the Julian Arosa fight. So Julian Arosa gets dropped in a lot of fights, right? But here's the thing. Guys will either drop him and knock him out, which is a big possibility. You can definitely go out there, drop this guy, knock him out. But if he is not knocked out, generally speaking, he comes back and he wins these fights because he's actually really solid. It's just the issue with Julian Arosa being as tall as he is. A little bit overconfident in his skills. Fights with his hands down. Those openings are going to be there for a guy like Hakeem Dawadu. So, I see Hakeem Dawadu getting it done. And to take it a step further, let's say Hakeem Dawadu um, takes him down. Hey, can y'all hear me okay? Someone said no audio on my end, but I don't know if he's just fucking with me. Um, but y'all y'all hear me okay? Let me know uh, in the comments below. But what I was saying was the reason that this fight might be a little bit different is because even though Hakeem Dawadu he might drop Julian Arosa and not finish him. And, can, and you know, historically speaking, okay, everyone says they can hear me fine. All right, dude, you're going in timeout for saying some shit like that. Um, but, yeah, the thing here about this matchup, what makes it a little bit different is that Hakeem Dawadu is technically sound no matter what. So even if he doesn't get the knockout, like he might knock him down but not finish him and Julian Arosa gets back up, Hakeem Dawadu still has, you know, the technical wherewithal to to fight sharp and to outpoint him for for the rest of the fight. So I do have Hakeem Dawadu to win this fight, but I got to give credit to Arosa. He's gone a lot further uh, farther than I ever expected him to. I mean, I remember when he got knocked out by Artem Lobov on the regional scene, not to mention he's been knocked out plenty of times, but this is a true fighter. This is a guy who picks himself back up. Puts his, puts his work boots on, puts that hard hat on, and he goes to work. And with these young, inexperienced guys, they drop him early, but they don't finish him. And he comes back, and, and he's able to outpoint you and outvolume you and break you. I just don't see that being the case here with someone who's matured like Hakeem Dawadu. And I see Hakeem Dawadu either winning by knockout or by decision. So, yeah, I think Hakeem Dawadu covers that favorite price. Now... Next up in the heavyweight division, I, I believe it's actually a 220-pound catchweight. We got 
Jailton Almeida. He's 16 and 2, taking on Anton uh, Turkaj. I don't know how to uh, Anton Turkology. I don't know how to pronounce the last name. We'll just call him. His nickname is The Pleasure Man. What a fucking great name. <laughs> the Pleasure Man. That's funny. Um, all right. Let's just go. Jailton Almeida versus The Pleasure Man. So, this is what's interesting about this fight. Jailton Almeida is a fucking problem. Jailton Almeida is a very credentialed jujitsu black belt. He's beat legit competition. He beat a Russian on contender series, choked him out. And the guy is just a physical specimen. You know for a fact that my boy Jelton Almeida has been harvesting the garden of life, uh, fruits and vegetables, and definitely doesn't skip his Flintstone vitamins in the morning. Definitely eats his oats. Uh, the guy's coming in here built like uh, like Adonis. You know what I'm saying? With Anton, I think Anton's a little bit on the more inexperienced side. And yeah, his contender series fight was uh, a bit boring. But let me say this. Boring doesn't matter when it comes to cashing bets. And one thing he showed was the one area he did good in was he was really good at taking the back. So offensively grappling, he didn't seem that bad to Anton Kidd. It's just he's in there with another beast this time. And, and what are the odds for this fight? So currently they got it. Jailton Almeida, minus 660. The comeback on Anton is on the Pleasure King is <laughs> plus 490. And it actually opened minus 1,500. So Vegas was thinking that, yo, this is a lock of a lock. And even though minus 660 is still the odds of, like, easy money, 16, minus 660 and minus 1,500 are two completely different lines. So maybe some people think Anton brings something to the table here. And maybe Anton can survive the early back take and then make it interesting down the stretch. Maybe uh, Jelton you know, expends a lot of energy, slows down as the fight goes, uh, uh, as the fight progresses and Anton takes over, but I don't see it. I think Jelton Almeida comes out here and probably finishes Anton and hands him his first ever defeat. Now, everybody do me a favor, smash that like button. <laughs> the pleasure, man. What a, what a fucking nickname, right? I wonder how he got that name. Hopefully, he didn't give himself that nickname. Hopefully, like, if a female gave him that nickname, then it's legit as hell, but uh, who knows? Now, next up in the middleweight division, here's another interesting one. We got Jamie Pickett, who's 13 and 7, taking on Dennis Chuluan, who is 10 and 6. And currently, they got it. Jamie Pickett, minus 125. The comeback on Dennis Chuluan is plus 105. Interesting, interesting fight for a lot of reasons. So, this dude, Dennis Chuluan, he's Russian. So, automatically, you see dog odds on a Russian. You're like, oh, shit, I got to take that. But He's not your typical, you know, Sambo guy. He's not going to come out here, attempt 10 takedowns or anything like that. He's actually more of like a long striker. And that's exactly what he is. You know, he's six foot one. He's got the 77 inch reach. He likes to keep fights at distance. And he's actually pretty damn dangerous, man. He's got a lot of knockouts on his record. Um, pretty much all his wins, for the most part, are by knockout. And, you know, you try to stand and bang with a guy like this and chances are you're hitting the deck. Chances are you're taking a canvas nap. Chances are, you know, they're going to have to bring in the smelling salts to wake you up. Right. So this dude, Dennis Chaloon, he can crack with Jamie Pickett. He's the definition of a hot and cold fighter. You know, I've personally never been a believer in, in, in uh, Jamie Pickett. And that's with all due respect. But the fact that he's gone to five UFC fights and this is his sixth. Hey, six UFC fights is a lot longer than I thought uh, Jamie Pickett was going to stick around. So what Jamie Pickett's got is 
excuse me, is that he's a very physical guy. I mean, he has a lot of physical attributes. He's six foot two. He's got the 80 inch reach. Um, but let's look at some of these numbers. Let's see if the numbers imply that he lands a lot of takedowns in this fight. So let's see. All right. So he took down Joseph Holmes twice. He took down Staropoli twice, took down Entruqui once and took down his uh, contender series opponent once his first one. You know, there's that going for him. So if he goes for takedowns here, then he's got a very good chance because Chaluan, even though he has been working on improving that part of his game, and then also you got to note that the guys that have been taken down Chaluan have all been these Russian studs, right? So we got we to gotta point that out. Um, but I also got to say, Pickett, he's been finished by Charles Bird and the Beverly Hills Ninja. That's a big red flag, especially when you're talking about laying chalk on someone. So I view this as a dogger pass situation. You know, it's just contingent on certain things happening, just like any fight is contingent on certain things happening. And what this fight is contingent on is Dennis Chaluin not spending so much fucking time on his back where he can't get back up. And, you know, that's what we got to avoid here. But if he avoids that, I think he can actually light up uh, uh, Jamie Pickett on the feet. And I think he might do that. So I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to take uh, Dennis Chaluan for the upset. Now, next up, in the heavyweight division, I heard I heard this is the people's main event. We got Jake Collier. He's 13-7, and seven, taking on Chris Barnett, who is 22-8. and eight. And currently, they got it. Jake Collier, minus 410, the comeback on Chris Barnett, plus 330. Look, I get it. I get why Jay Collier is favored. It's just long-term, you're not going to be making money laying minus 400 on Jay Collier, even if I think he's the more skilled guy. You're dealing with two obese guys here, man. I mean, one guy in uh, Chris Barnett has to cut to make 265, and he's five foot nine. And the other guy, um, uh, Jay Collier, used to fight at 85s. Now, now he's weighing in at the heavyweight limit at 265. So these are two fat dudes. I think that Jay Collier is the more skilled guy. He can spin from time to time. You saw him actually show off some prowess on the ground, the way he, he destroyed Chase Sherman. So I think he's the more well-rounded guy. It's just with uh, Chris Barnett, explosive, um, deceivingly athletic, can throw some unorthodox stuff. And it's heavyweight. Anybody could get caught. So you got to look out for that. But aside from that, I do think Jay Collier wins this fight. It's just long term. You cannot be laying a price like that on. on, on did, I, did I say Jake Paul? I meant Jay Collier. You can't you can't be laying a price like that on Jake Paul either. But on Jay Collier, you can't be laying minus 400 long term. You're not going to come out on the right side of the coin. This fight, I do think he, he probably wins the more skilled guy. And also, shout out to Barnett, though. You know, he went through some really personal uh some some personal stuff behind the scenes and you know condolences to him man and you know our hearts with you man we enjoy the entertainment you bring to the table and i just hope that mentally speaking regardless win lose or draw in this fight that he gets everything in order because everything i've heard from people that train with him is that barnett is a solid guy he's he lights up the room he's got a great personality he's just someone you want to be around you feel better when you walk out the room than when you walked in you know hanging out with a guy like that so it's hard not to root for him and i tip my cap to him especially considering what he's been through so josh bar uh josh bar chris barnett you got my respect homie pure pick is jay collier now next up in the featherweight division we got a matchup between norma dumont she's seven and two representing brazil taking on danielle wolf who is one and oh 
One and no, however, she is 27 and 14 as a pro boxer, which that's a not a good record for pro boxing standards. Because in, in pro boxing, if you even have one or two losses, they look at you like you're a fucking bum. It's crazy how different it is than MMA. Uh, but currently they got it. Norma Dumont minus 410. The comeback on Daniel Wolf is plus 330. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think Norma Dumont should cover this price tag. You know, it'd be nice if she came out here, got some takedowns. If she wants to make it a stand-up match, it's it'll be a little tougher considering the boxing background on Daniel Wolf. But boxing for MMA compared to boxing, uh yeah, boxing in boxing and boxing in MMA are two completely different things. The gloves, the range, the distance, there's kicks involved here. There's takedowns, there's elbows, knees, you know, it's just it's just different. So you got to go with Norma Dumont here. I personally am not going to be laying the chalk on her, but I think that, I mean, as long as she fights smart, I, I think she's got this one in the bag. So we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, this should be a fun fight. We got Chad and Helliger. He's 12 and 5 representing Canada. Taking on Haile Alatang, who's 15, 8, and 2, representing China. And currently, they got it. Haile Alatang, minus 170, the comeback on Chad and Hellinger's plus 145. Did y'all see that one tweet that came out where they said that um, that Chad and Hellinger was, was like minus 400? Someone said that that was available in one book. Others said that that was like an error. So, I'm not sure which one it was, but all I know is that that line is def, this definitely ain't no minus 400 chat on Hellinger there. Um, but what I think about this fight, I like this kid on Hellinger, man. You know, there's a lot I like about him. He's got a lot of fight in him. And also, one thing I truly respect about Ann Hellinger, this dude started off his pro career two and five. Two and five. You know how many people would have hung it up after being two and five? And he goes from two and five. To now he's 12 and 5. So, like, dude, like, much respect to Ann Hellinger for that. Like, that's some grown man shit to overcome that adversity, to stick it through, to, you know, trust the process, and, and to see this guy, Leo, trying to, trying to play with the toy here D- during the middle of the podcast. You know, he always comes through at the end of the podcast to let me know it's time to give him some attention. But basically, what I'm trying to get at, oh, yeah, someone said Wolf is as old as tony yeah she's about to be 40 that's another thing but anyways back to ann helliger when you go from two and five to 12 and five like dude you you are you are that's a grown-ass man right there that is a dude with resolve that is a dude who you know picked himself back up and you can just apply that to all areas of life shit might not be going your way early on i'm not just talking about in fights i'm talking about just in life but you keep trying you keep showing up every day you keep picking yourself back up and they like they say Hard work uh, beats talent when talent refuses to work hard. So I respect this guy and Hellinger a lot. My issue is that for the Bantamweight division, I think he's a bit too small. I think that he can be out physical here. You know, um, he can be taken down a lot as evidence in his last two fights. But he's one of those guys that you better be there to the bitter end with him because I know damn well he's going to be there to the bitter end. And you start to slow down on a guy like Ann Hellinger, you start to show him any kind of weakness, and that's where he can have that comeback. The thing here is with Haile Alatang, I love the fact that he got out of his comfort zone. He left China. He came to the States training at Fight Ready. And I feel like we've been seeing big improvements these last few fights. 
even the one fight he lost, like when you talk about taking an ass whooping like a man, you talk about that highly Alatang's Casey Kennedy fight. Some of those kicks he was eating and the fact that the dude just kept moving forward, like, dude, like that is badass. And his wrestling's gotten a lot better. And that's what I think is going to possibly win him this fight. Um, not only, he, I also think he's way too physical and just he's an actual bantamweight, whereas I kind of view Angeliger as a guy who could fight at flyweight you know, with the right nutrition, right? Right. The right, uh, you know, get his stuff together outside the cage. But, um, I, I just see highly Alatan kind of being a little bit too, too big, too physical, you know, bully him around a little bit, mixing no takedowns. But here's all I got to say. If highly Alatan starts to gas out uh, on a guy like Ann Hellinger, if highly Alatan, if the takedowns start to not come as easy as they did in the early rounds and the later rounds, and he starts huffing and puffing at all, which I don't think he will. He trains that fight ready. Their conditioning program is second to none. But all I got to say is Angeliger will be there till the bitter end. Angeliger is a dog. Angeliger gives no fucks and does not quit on himself. So I respect the hell out of him. But I'm going to go with Haile Alatang. Just think he's a little bit more physical. And I think that his wrestling in this fight is probably going to make the difference. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Elise Reed. She's 5-2, and two, taking on Melissa Martinez, who is 7-0. Currently, they got it. Melissa Martinez, minus 165. The comeback on Elise Reed is plus 140. Now, I see a lot of sharp people taking the shot on Elise Reed, and I understand why. She's had UFC experience, even won a fight in the UFC. Her stand-up isn't half bad. And this Melissa Martinez girl has not proven anything, has not fought anybody, has been out for a long-ass time. Um, but, man, there are ways to beat Elise Reed, and Elise Reed is on the lower end of the totem pole in that division. So it's tough because can we expect improvements from Melissa Martinez And these, you know, how long has she been out for? She's been out for a while. She's been out since 2019. I believe, uh, you know, that's enough time for a 25-year-old to make big improvements. Uh, it's just that she's also not really known much for her grappling, which is the big weakness in Reed's game, so it will be a stand-up fight. So I, I, I totally understand the case for it being a dog or pass situation, but I'm going to go with Melissa Martinez to win a controversial split decision here. Now, last but not least, and this is one I got to bet on, we got a welterweight matchup between Darian Weeks. He's five and two, taking on Johan Lennes, who was eight and one, representing Canada. Currently, they got it. Darian Weeks minus one twenty-five. The comeback on Johan Lennes is plus one hundred five. So I took one unit on Lennes at plus one sixteen and one unit at plus one fourteen. Um, so I've already beat the line movement, which I'm happy about. And I know people are going to be questioning this pick, which is fine. Question all my picks. Um, and who knows if it's going to win or not, but this is my reasoning for taking Johan Lennes in the spot. I kind of think that Darian Weeks, although he's an athletic guy, although he's a tough guy, I kind of think on the experience side of things, it's not quite there to be in the UFC right now. Now, I get it. He had a long amateur career, but that's amateurs, guys. Like, to, you know, to quote my boy Alan Iverson, we talking about practice? I know we ain't talking about practice, you know, and I just think that when you're five and two, you're getting thrown to the wolves that you kind of need some more seasoning on that regional scene. And Yoan Lanes, I like this guy, man. I mean, he's a banger. He's a very violent guy. He's got that one hitter quitter, but don't sleep on the other areas of his game too. I mean, the guy can hit takedowns as well. I think he's decently well-rounded. It's just, you know, that last fight, there was a bit of a pacing issue. 
And I think, but I think that when you're knocking a guy around all over the place, you're dropping him, you're taking him down easily. And you know, the kind of pace that Gabe Green pushes. Gabe Green's a guy that pushed the pace on Phil Rowan one. Gabe Green's a guy that landed over a hundred significant strikes against Daniel Rodriguez. Gabe Green just gave my boy Ian Gary a good fight. Darian Weeks also fought Gary, but I thought Darian Weeks was badly outclassed uh, in that in, in that Ian Gary fight. I thought that the only reason it wasn't as spectacular as people expected it to be was because Darian Weeks was pinning him up against the fence and killing the clock. He didn't want to engage with Ian Gary. And with Johan Linnaeus, um, so there's a whole talk about his cardio. I think it's more of a pacing thing. I think the guy's in shape. I think it's a pacing thing. I think he's a... He, the guy's a killer. The guy sees you hurt. He goes for broke. But in his regional fight that went the distance, I saw him hitting takedowns in that third round. So it, it, when people call him first round or bust, I just disagree. Like I just gave the example. Like I saw him go out there and hit takedowns in round three of a fight before. So it's not like this guy's a fish out of water after round one. I just think that specific matchup against Gabe Green, Gabe pushes a ridiculous pace. And when you are so hell-bent on finishing someone and you almost do finish them and you empty out the tank, well, <laughs> that's what's going to happen. You're, you're going to be left with nothing left and then you start eating body shots when you're already fatigued. It was what it was, but I don't, I don't see that happening again, man. And I think that this is a favorable matchup for Johan Liness. I think the leg kicks are going to be big here. I think that uh, Darren Weeks actually has some like amateur boxing fights or pro boxing fights, so he's going to be very heavy on that lead leg. I think that the leg kicks are going to be there, and Yoan Liness has got that nice power. Yoan Liness has got some big elbows. Don't don't sleep on his takedowns either. Now, Darren Weeks does have a wrestling background. He might attempt some takedowns too. He might get pushed up against the uh, the fence from time to time, but I just see uh, Johan being a bit cleaner, and I, I like this guy. I know that that last fight it was going great until it wasn't but those are the kind of things that you can you can learn from those are the kind of things you can make improvements from in the gym it'd be one thing if he was out here getting dropped by jabs then we'd be questioning his chin but when you're when you empty out the clip trying to finish someone and you don't get the finish and they push the pace that gabe green pushes that's gonna break you but darion weeks doesn't push that kind of pace nor does he have the same skill as a guy like Gabe Green. Gabe Green beat Phil Rowe. Gabe Green competed with D-Rod. Like, I think it's a different level. I think that this fight here is more on, you know, the caliber that Johan's on, and I think that this is one he can get by. So, maybe I'm wrong, you know? I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong many times again, but this is a spot where, when you talk about the numbers, I I, I line Lines minus 135, minus 150. I get, minus 150. You know, I think he wins at least 6 out of 10 times. They're giving me dog odds. They're saying he's he's less than 50% to win. At least line this fight a pick him. So, yeah, I thought the odds were off there, so I put two units on line S, and let's see what happens. So hopefully he gets it done for me. All right, so I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. Before I do that, everybody hit the uh, smash the like button, hit the subscribe button, and then I'm going to post the link. If any of y'all want to come in here, ask me anything, talk shit, do whatever, you're more than welcome to. Uh, but this is the last call to do out the links right there in the chat. If you want to join, come in, say anything to me, feel free. But before y'all do that, I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. 
Um, so, I mean, obviously the fight to watch is Daniel Rodriguez versus Kevin Holland. I mean, both these guys are emerging in the welterweight division, despite this being an 180 pound, uh, catchweight fight. And the winner is going to get a big fight next. I mean, D rod, he thinks he's undefeated in the UFC. He thinks he's what seven and no eight, no in the UFC. And Kevin Holland's already has 16 UFC fights. He's already a staple of the sport. And not to mention, every time these two fight, it's super exciting. So I want to see who's going to control the distance, who's going to who's going to fight in their range, who's going to ultimately employ their style of fighting and get the dub. Is it going to be one-sided? Is it going to be a fight of the night? Like, so many questions. And for that reason, D-Rod versus Kevin Holland is my fight to watch. My fighter to watch is Johnny Walker. Listen, I want to see if Johnny Walker can somehow summon the guy that first came into the UFC that gave us all those flashy finishes that a lot of us, myself included, stupidly enough, were saying that, uh, yeah, this guy could maybe give John Jones a challenge, you know, just because of the size, the athleticism. Turn out that wasn't the case. But this is a crossroads fight, man. I mean, he loses here. Where does he go? And he's got an opponent in Kutalaba that could beat him but could also possibly – get stopped in emphatic fashion so it's going to be interesting so my eyes are going to be on johnny walker i want to see exactly what he does with this opportunity so i'm going to read some of the comments in the chat before i get out of here um and y'all do me a favor if y'all want to come in here and talk to me uh feel free to do that oh i got someone in here so i'm going to read some of the comments in the Wait, chat what's up bro out of here. um and y'all do me a favor if y'all want to come in here and talk to me hold uh, up feel free to do that I hear, I hear, I hear myself from like ten seconds ago. No, I was just checking it out. Uh, I don't have any questions, man. Great show as always. I appreciate you, bro. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's funny. I think he was playing uh, the audio, so it was like a little bit behind. But when he joined, um, he was in here, but it was playing like what I said from five seconds ago which is cool. But hey, man, I, pr I appreciate you, Reg. Uh, thanks for coming in here. If anyone wants to, if anyone else wants to come in here and talk to me, feel free. Oh, shit. Abu Dhabi. What's up, man? Hey, man. Real quick. I think D-Rod versus Holland is a lock for the over. You know, what do you think? Those guys, tough. They're going to bang it out for three rounds. What do you think? Over 1.5 or over 2.5? Over 2.5 is minus 110. Minus 110? Shit. Um. I, yeah, I mean, I, I can see it on paper. It's just sometimes these things don't go as we expect them to. But at least you're not laying big juice. So, you know, yeah. if you feel convicted about that, go for it, you know? You, you still there? Hey, bonito perro ahí, man. Yep. Muchísimas gracias. Thank you, man. Hey, keep it up, man. You're killing it, bro. I appreciate it, bro. Thank you very much. All right. I'm going to start reading some of these comments. If anyone else wants to come in here, feel free. Um, smash the like button, smash the like button. Y'all already know my boy Marcus Williams in the house. Appreciate you, brother. Oh, yeah, my boy Colby, like that ZM play. That was a good play, right? That was a good underdog bet, wasn't it? Um, let's see what else y'all are saying. We got Nick in here. What's up, Nick? What up, Nick? Hey, what's up, bro? What up? Hey. I just want to tell you what's up, and uh, I see your show all the time, but I think it's like the second time I've ever caught it live. Oh, okay, cool. I just want to say, man, keep up the good work. I enjoy your format and how you present all your info. Thank you very much. That means a lot, Nick. I appreciate it, man. All right, brother. You keep up the good work. We'll catch you later. All right, you too, man. Take care. All right. Let's see what else y'all are saying here. 
Gerald says, do you think he paces himself against Diaz or tries to run straight through him? Good question. Good question. I don't know. Um, I mean, I definitely think that Chimaev is going to be trying to take him down at will. It's just that sometimes you get carried away when you're trying to finish these guys. Sometimes you see the openings, you go for it, but then the guy's still there and that will drain you. But I definitely don't think Chimaev has been skipping his runs or anything like that. So, yeah, there's just a lot of ways that this could go. Um, let's see. Anything else y'all got for me? The link's there if anyone else wants to join. Uh, Kevothe says, Lijing Lane by KO is plus 160 is going to be the dumbest line in hindsight is all I'm going to say. Yeah, if that's what you think, go for it, bro. Um, <laughs> the champ said, pulling out my heartstrings with all this OG retirement talk. Hey, that's how this sport goes, man. But as a betting man, you better be able to capitalize when, you know, I should have fucking bet that Roman Kopilov guy, you know, who I wish I knew that Alessio was about to call it. He didn't let us know until after the fact. Um, D-Rod trains with Lanky Joe, so he knows length fighters. Yeah, it's just about where this fight takes place. Like, the seven-inch reach advantage for Holland isn't going to matter if Holland charges him recklessly and gets right into uh, D-Rod's range. So I agree. It just depends where it takes place. Um, all right. Anything else? Um, scrolling down. See what else y'all got to say. And then Andy said, who's Gianni the Greek taking? I don't know, man, but y'all got to chill out on my boy Gianni the Greek. You know, every interaction I've had with him, he's been nothing but a nice guy to me. And I understand that, you know, he might be on like a bit of a skid lately, but dude, every gambler goes through skids. I mean, like, did you see my, my year last year? Last year, I couldn't fucking win a bet to save my life. This year, it seems like it's the opposite. So when you're in this game long term, you know, and also, I just don't like the bullying mentality. I just never have. I think it's more important to focus on yourself, you know, than to focus on someone else, you know. Um, it's, it's just better to put positive energy out there than to kick someone while they're down. I don't like kicking people while they're down, man. So I hope I hope he gets back on track, you know. Um, that's what I honestly hope. Chopper says, my bets are on fire lately. Thank you. I really hope that that continues to be the case. I'll just say I'm enjoying this again, so that's definitely half the battle, no pun intended. Um, I'm really enjoying doing this. I feel like I'm I got, I'm got locked in. My process is on point right now. My money management is better than it's ever been. Uh, so hopefully I can just keep picking these good spots and, and you know have my best year today, which I'm on track for. My boy Dexter said, let's fucking go. Yes, sir. Let's fucking go. Dan said, who would you take for an underdog in the main card? Rodriguez, Chazon, or Walker? Shit. I don't know. I don't think I'm betting any of them, but I bet Johan Lanes. But trust your gut, dude. I ain't always right, man. Like, who cares what I think, man? Like, last year, I lost 40 units. This year, I'm up 43 units or something. So, like... What I say doesn't matter. Y'all just listen to me for entertainment, and hopefully I can maybe bring up some things you hadn't thought about earlier, and that's it. But you got to think for yourself at the end of the day. And if you see value in those, you know, risk the same amount on each and, you know, come out on the right side of the coin long term. Um, let me see what else y'all are saying. 
Sam said, I'm a good dude. Thank you, Sam. You're a good dude. All right. I think that's about it. Right, guys? All right. So thank you all so much. Leo, is, is that it? Do I got to go now? Are you, are you kicking me off my own podcast, my man? Isn't this fucking dog awesome, man? Um, Yeah, my boy MMA Locker Room said, what I say don't, doesn't matter. Trust your gut. Realest shit ever. Hey, exactly, man. That's why I don't really listen to what anyone else has to say. I just focus on what I think. But I'm not telling you, oh, stop listening to me. No, like I said, listen to me. Maybe I can bring up some things you haven't thought about. Maybe you find me entertaining. Maybe you got to kill time, whatever. But at the end of the day, I'm not always right. I'm going to be wrong a lot, too. So you have to trust your gut at the end of the day. But one thing you should listen to me about is discipline and money management. Do not risk more than you can afford to lose. Do not force bets. And try your best to find value in these spots. That's one thing you should listen to me about. Um, all right. Well, guys... <laughs> Grundy. guys i really appreciate it thank you so much make sure you smash that like button hit the subscribe after this is done leave me some comments tell me what y'all think uh, and then also on twitter do me do me that favor and and share this retweet it man let's get the word out you know what i'm saying let's get more people in here so thank y'all so fucking much for everything y'all can follow me on twitter at best fight picks the instagram for the show is half the battle pod um you can subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places podcasts are available. I'll be back next week for the next card. Dirty Reg said, it's all about hearing certain points that might not been thought of, and sometimes you hear some things you're already thinking. Yeah, exactly. So that's all it is. So thank you guys so much for everything. Truly appreciate y'all, and until the next time, let's catch these bets.